Welcome to the Church of the Living God Mount Sterling podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more information about our church, follow us on Facebook by searching for our page, Church of the Living God Mount Sterling. We would love to connect with you, pray with you, and hear what God is doing in your life. Now grab your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. All right, we have a mighty man of God, Pastor John Pop. Uh, prophet John Pop, and so we're excited to hear the word of the Lord. He's got a word, all right? He has got a word for today, and so we just we just honor you and your calling. We love you, John. Give him a big round of applause. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I think we could go home right now, and I'd be perfectly fine with saying the Lord showed up and he was in this place and that we felt his glory step in. It, it's, such, like, it's such a thing that we have to be careful that we don't take it for granted. Right? When, when God steps into the room, there's a whole lot of churches that, that don't know what that's like. And so sometimes for us, when we, when we usher in the, the presence of God, because it says in his word that he inhabits the praises of his people, sometimes that becomes regular to us, and the king should never be regular. Right? God's glory should never be mundane. It should never be just normal. But things change in God's presence. So it's such an awesome thing to come in here and to sense God's presence in the place. It's such a, an awesome thing. Let's never take that for granted as a church. And all morning, through worship and through what Pastor Patrick was exhorting, God just kind of kept reaffirming the theme of the word he wants to speak today. Because we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about revival. We're going to talk about God's glory. We're going to talk about some different things. But I want you to know that God has given us an on-time word, and I think it's a word that speaks right now to where we're at, where we're at in culture, where we're at in society, and it's an encouraging word that I believe we're going to walk out of here, and we're going to hold our heads high, and we're going to be, we're going to be encouraged that God's got a plan, but God's always had a plan. See, he didn't have to pivot. He didn't have to change things. God's always been in control. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're starting Colossians chapter 3. Hope everyone had a great 4th of July. Everybody stayed safe and enjoyed the fireworks. I always enjoy watching my neighbors spend their money to shoot fireworks off. Right, so I can just enjoy them from my driveway or my porch. Um, my kids are at a fun age. Maddie and Evie are at a fun age where they love fireworks. When I was their age, from what I remember and what I'm told, I was kind of scared of fireworks because the noise was loud, so I didn't really like it. But, man, the girls, they just eat it up. They see fireworks, and they start dancing, and, and they're always sad when they stop. They're like, that was it? 20 minutes, that was it? You know, they... But we had a great time. I hope your families had a great time. And it's a great time to celebrate this country because this is still a God-fearing nation. Doesn't matter what spin the media wants to put on it or whatever. We're still one nation. We're still under God. Amen. So we're happy that you're here this morning. Again, I, I do. I honor my parents who are here and my grandfather who's here from Florida. Um, I'm just so happy that we're in the place, but I'm happy even more so that God's in the place, amen? So Colossians chapter 3, I want to I just 
I want to deliver the word that God's put on my heart. And the title of the message is, It's Time to Be Revealed. It's time to be revealed. Now, you hear that and you think, oh, that kind of sounds like a negative thing. Like when something's revealed, usually if it's like a scandal or, or something, you know, that's, that's not a good thing. We're going to talk about a glorious revealing today. All right, so let's, let's start in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for stepping into this place, God. We, we honor you. We, we host your presence as best we're able, God. Because even though we're just human beings, as we lift up our worship and as we lift up our praise, God, you descend to be with your creation. So we thank you for being here. We thank you for being present. God, I thank you for the healing touch that was delivered as Sister Kimberly just exhorted and, 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 and brought forward that word of knowledge that there's people here seeking a miracle. We claim today, July 5th. 2020 miracles were delivered in this place to the glory of God now God touch this word God bring an utterance of Holy Spirit in this place God I pray that there would be a fire and an unction in this word that it would penetrate our hearts God and it would go deep so that we could carry this word Lord let us preach this word to our co-workers to our friends to the people at Walmart God because this is your word and your word is true and is pure. So let us carry it in our hearts to grow closer to you and to grow closer to each other as the kingdom of God expands. God, we love you and we thank you. We honor you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. All right. Colossians chapter 3. Verse, we're going to start right off the top of verse 1. I'm going to read from... The Passion Translation might be a little bit different than the translation you have, um, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll talk through it all. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Right off the bat, it's like, boom. Chapter 3, verse 1, and Paul just starts out with this big, heavy revelation of truth. Hey, you know Christ that was crucified, buried, and resurrected? resurrected? Well, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Your translation might say at the right hand. He's at the right hand of the Father in a place of power and honor and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm. Fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. And not with the distractions of the natural realm. Feast on the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. And not with the distractions of the natural realm. Let me tell you, there's a lot of distractions going on right now. There's a lot of distractions in the news media. There's a lot of distractions in politics. There's a lot of distractions on Facebook. Facebook is a great tool. It's also sometimes just mind-sucking that we just get on there and just we allow things to just come into our spirit as we're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. The problem is what... Facebook has been displaying a lot lately as a lot more of the distractions of the world's reality and not a whole lot of heavenly realities. 
So we need to first take inventory. Where do our thoughts lie? If you're waking up in the morning and you're going to work, or maybe you're like me and you're working from home, and you get up and you say, man, this is another day. 2020 is just off the rails insane. We don't know what's going to happen next. We've got murder hornets. What is that about? Just crazy stuff, right? And God said, this is the day that I have made. You should rejoice and be glad in it. That's a heaven reality. That's a heavenly reality. Are my thoughts on, well, I don't know what's going to happen next. What's going to happen with the presidential election? What's going to happen with the riots? What's going to, or is my reality placed with Christ who is seated in the place of all power, all authority, and all honor? See, the, the word says that we are seated with Christ, right? We are seated with Christ, and if he is in heaven realities, then our mind and our will, our emotions, all of it should be placed in a higher, a higher realm. We don't have to settle for earthly distractions when we place our eyes on the heavenly realm. It goes on to say in verse 3, your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tide of this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, here we go, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. Guys, the world's about to see Christ on an even larger scale, even more glorified. And if who Christ is is being revealed, then you can take hope in this word that who you really are is also about to be revealed in Christ. What does revealed mean or appear in the King James? It means to make manifest or visible or known what has been hidden. Now, if God has the plans for you, right, Jeremiah 29, 11, he has the plans for you, plans of a hope and a future, an expected end, not of evil, but of good things, and he knit you together in your mother's womb, then surely he spoke purpose and identity over you at the same time. Before you even took your first step on this earth, God declared who you were in him. God declared identity. Now, as we progress through life, the world starts to re-identify us by our experiences, by our failures, by our flaws, by our shortcomings. The world starts to pronounce who your identity is, and what does that do? It starts to hide your identity that God has ordained. But if Christ is being revealed, then surely we are about to be revealed as well who we really are because God's about to make manifest through His glory something known that was previously unknown, something revealed that was previously hidden. He's about to take the veil off. He's about to make something visible that He knows has always been there. Now, maybe your coworkers. They don't really know the real you. Because maybe you're like, ah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be too crazy, you know. I want to keep my job. They might think I'm wild. Maybe the people at the gym don't you don't want to see them see you worshiping at the gym because, oh man, they might think I'm weird and kick me out. 
Or even, what if God tells you to go pray for somebody in the grocery store? I don't know if I can do that, God. It's okay because who you really are is that person that God predestined, that God ordained from the beginning of time. And all you have to do is keep your mind on heavenly realities, and then He comes and unveils you for who you are by His glory. There's an unveiling happening in the church. And it's going to happen whether you get on board or not. But if you've been promised that the real you can shine forth, the real you that God pronounced as a worshiper, as a preacher, as a prophet, as an apostle, as a helps minister, as a children's care worker, as a businessman, it doesn't matter What matters is the purpose that God's placed on your life is about to be revealed. It's coming to visibility. This is different from the idea that God's going to put something new in you. This is God's revealing what's always been there. As little children, I watch my kids, and they have such a worshiper's heart. They worship, man, little Evie starts preaching sometimes. She'll run around just, sometimes it's very distinguishable what she's saying. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's a three-year-old. But I see her heart to preach and to minister, and I see the worship in my kids. And I remember that we all had that too, but then life starts to weigh us down. And suddenly our song of worship is replaced with sorrow. Suddenly our dancing and our freedom is replaced with baggage and chains. And God said, I don't have to make you new. I just have to reveal who you already are. I just have to pour out my glory. Because as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed. For now you are one with him in his glory. So what's the purpose of our unveiling? Why do we as individuals need to be unveiled to be who we really are in God? Because every single one of us have a purpose. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. This is absolutely one of my favorite, favorite, favorite chapters in the Bible. Romans chapter 8. There's so much identity declared in Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 18. Verse 18, this is going to be out of the New King James. This is again Paul writing, Paul writing to the church in Rome. He said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Revealed. Again, this is to uncover what has been veiled or covered up. I was talking to my, my good friend Brandon Thomas the other day. And he's been teaching a little bit out of this passage. And really kind of what that word means in the Greek is imagine you had a chair and then someone came and threw a a sheet over it. Okay? So people that walk through the house, they can tell it's a chair, but they can't really make out its distinguishing features. They can't make out its form. Why? Because it's veiled. But when it says here in Romans... That the glory which shall be revealed in us, it's if somebody took that sheet and yanked it off. And what's left is the chair for all to see. Everyone in the house can now see what was under the veil. And God through his glory comes and reveals himself through us. 
But why? Because verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. The Passion Translation says, The universe stands on tiptoe. You ever, you ever been in like a race or something and you're, you're anticipating them to say go and you see runners, they kind of they lean into it and they get up on tiptoe? The universe is on tiptoe, not for the return of Christ, but for the revealing of Christ in us. The glory that is going to come through us because we are revealed as sons and daughters of God. That's what creation's waiting for. People in the house can see the chair when it's unveiled. Guess who else knows it's a chair? The house. Creation is earnestly expecting us to be revealed. So who are the sons and daughters? Definition from the extended concordance says, it's those who revere God as their father. The pious worshipers of God. Those who in character and life resemble God. Those who are governed by the Spirit of God. They repose the same calm and joyful trust in God which children do their parents. I've heard, you know, in times before driving down the road, Megan will say something to me about, you know, well, which way do we got to go? And sometimes I don't know. I'm really bad at directions, so I use GPS. Like, sometimes just to get to Walmart, I have to use it's terrible. I'm awful, right? But I'll hear Maddie in the back say, it's okay, mom. Dad knows the way. She's got more faith in my directions than I have faith in my directions, right? It's because she has a calm when her mom and dad are behind the wheel. She has a peace knowing, hey, I don't know where we're going. Sometimes they tell me the minute we pull up, but I know that if I'm with them, everything's going to be okay. I know that if I'm with my father and if I'm with my mother, they've got, what, my best interest in mind. It's easy to become a son and daughter when you put trust in the father. But worry shows that we've put trust in something else. So this, we, teach it, we, we teach at Life Christian University I teach one of the biblical finances courses. And one of the things that we bring out is, if you're worried about your finances, it means that you haven't turned them over to God. Now, it doesn't mean your bank account's going to have one with a bunch of zeros behind it. Because hard times come. The Bible never said, be a Christian, you'll escape everything. It's not what it says. Sometimes money is tight. Sometimes bills come up unexpectedly. But am I worried about it? Or as a child with their parents, am I trusting my heavenly father that he supplies my needs according not to what my bank account can hold, but according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So you see, there's a calm that comes over children when they're in the presence of their parents. Sons and daughters of God in the presence of God have a calm and a peace to them because they trust that wherever the father goes, if they follow with him, then he's got everything in control. But it requires us keeping our minds on heavenly realities. I need to be thinking about what my father's thinking about. 
my heart needs to break for what my father's heart breaks for. If my father loves people, then I need to love people. Because if I'm thinking about him, and I want to be with him, and that's what he does, then that's what I need to do because I'm a son or I'm a daughter of God, right? We have to be revealed because creation hangs in the balance. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Now, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Let's get a little bit deeper. Because we all believe in our salvation, right? We believe, you know, we believe in Christ. Christ redeems us. We are saved. But this says, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty or freedom of the children of God. Can I tell you this, that because of sin, creation operates in futility. It says that right there in the word, in futility. What is futility? Futility is false utility. If something has a utility, it has a purpose. I can assure you creation has a purpose. If it's operating in futility, it has a false utility. It means it's not being used to its full potential. That's how a lot of people in the body of Christ are. You have a purpose, but it's not your purpose. That's why we need to be revealed. But just like we need to be revealed, creation is crying out for us to be revealed so it can experience the measure of freedom that we are designed to walk in. Can I tell you this? There are fields and parks in Mount Sterling that are used to host Little League games, and that's awesome. That's one utility. But it might just be a futility if we consider that that same ground is meant to host tent revivals. If it's meant to see change come through the city. We might have school systems that we're standing in, and school systems educate. But it's not quite the full godly utility because we're supposed to train up children in the way they should go in the Lord so that when they're old they won't depart from it. The land has purpose, but the land is under a curse. Through the redemption of Christ, we have been made sons and daughters of God. Now creation is saying, hey, when's our time to be revealed? There is places in Mount Sterling that are designed to host the presence of God. Creation just doesn't know it yet, but it's waiting. It's waiting for the liberty to say, this was what I was designed for. No longer am I operating in false utility but I'm operating in full utility. Creation needs us in our purpose. It needs us in our authority. You might think that's crazy, but yet we walk through lands where we see trees that can't grow, and we see poverty, and we see problems and plagues and pestilence. And yet even in Israel, which is desert, it's some of the most fertile ground for trees and for plants. They even grow plants there that aren't supposed to grow in that region. Could it be that God's chosen people are allowing the land to operate in utility? Now you might say, well, but the, 
The Jews don't all acknowledge Christ. That's true, some of them don't, but guess what? They're still God's people. And the land is still walking in its utility, so it's able to grow things that it has never been able to grow before. There's parts of Mount Sterling that I believe can be redeemed to grow, to grow produce that it wasn't even ever considered to, to bring industry into Mount Sterling, to grow the economy into Mount Sterling, but it's only going to happen if we take it seriously, if we take us seriously, if we allow God to reveal himself through us to the point where redemption comes to the land. You might be thinking, this is crazy. God cares about people. I can buy into that. I don't know about the land. You know, God created the land before he created us. God spent six days creating and one day resting, and a whole lot of that creation was about the land, and very little of it was about us. But yet, we're the only ones made in the image. So bear the image. It's about restoration. You know, Adam, Adam had dominion over the garden. He had authority over the garden. And because that, the garden was bountiful. The moment that Adam fell, there was a curse pronounced on the land, and all of a sudden his work started to, to be harder because the land started giving thistles and thorns and weeds, and it became a process. The land doesn't want to do that. It just needs somebody to walk in the authority to tell it, hey, you're going to grow fruit here, not weeds. You're going to be bountiful, not a wasteland. God wants to reclaim land just like he wants to reclaim people. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Verse 20, Passion Translation, says, He will come to Zion as a kinsman redeemer. To those of Jacob's tribes who repent of their rebellion, says Yahweh. Now, kinsman redeemers, you maybe have heard that term with Ruth and Boaz, right? Christ is a foreshadowing of a kinsman redeemer. Let me tell you something about a kinsman redeemer. Kinsmen redeemers are people who were the next in line in the family. So when somebody passed away and the responsibility fell to the kinsman redeemer, it was on them to bail their family out of jail, to pay off the family's debts, to go to war if they had to, to marry up the, the next in line. But you know one of the main purposes of the kinsman redeemer? was to purchase back land that had been lost through poverty and restore it back to the family name. God cares about creation, so he sent us through him to redeem. He is a kinsman redeemer, reclaiming the land, and he's using sons and daughters to do it. And it says in verse 21, And this is my covenant promise with them, says Lord Yahweh. From now on, my Holy Spirit will rest on them and not depart from them. Last week, if you were in service with us, we had a moment of just awesome presence and ministering where God just brought up this song from our spirits of, come rest on us. Come re As the Spirit was moving over the waters, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. That's God's desire for his people and for his land, that he would come rest on us and not depart from them. And my prophetic words will fill, will fill their mouths and will not depart from them nor from their children nor from their descendants or their children's children from now on and forever, says Lord Yahweh. 
And then we go right into Isaiah 60, verse 1. So rise up in splendor and be radiant. Or the King James, arise, shine, for your light has come. Rise up in splendor and be radiant, for your light has dawned and Yahweh's glory now streams from you. One translation of this could say, break forth with the light of a new day. Come into who you really are. Be revealed by the light of God in the new day. This is important because Christ shines his light on us. But then what did he instruct us to do in Matthew chapter 5? For us to be the light. And if you have a light, who hides it under a bushel or under a basket, under a secret place? But let your light shine. Why? So all men can see. The light, it attracts people. But if it's his light, it'll attract them to him. So when Christ shines his light on us, and it's reflected through us, then we become the light. We become that city on a hill. We become the light in the darkness that allows people to say, I want what you have, and we point straight back to Christ. Because it's his light. He originates his light. He reveals his light through us. Verse 2, look carefully. Darkness blankets the earth, and thick gloom covers the nations. I feel like that could very easily describe what some of us feel like is, is happening right now. It's not just America that's in turmoil. It's, it's the nations of the world. This virus, and worse than the virus, this fear and anxiety that has gripped people over the virus. I mean, I, I've sat on the phone with coworkers and had them cry because they're afraid to go back to work. And I'm not discounting them at all. That, that's real. It's just not what we're intended to walk in. I have compassion for those people, right? Because Christ had compassion. The virus is real, but the fear is even more real. And then you've got protests and, and you've got riots and you've got, you know, just so much up in the air. Look carefully, darkness blankets the earth and thick gloom covers the nations. But it doesn't stop there. It says, but Yahweh arises upon you and the brightness of his glory appears where? Over you. The brightness, the light of God appears over you. Arise is specifically to appear. So when God arises, he's appearing with his light. And then when it says appears over you or is seen over you, it means to be visible, to make visible. We saw it in the New Testament in Paul's letters. Now we're reading it in the prophetic word of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And guess what he was pointing to? This day where Christ made manifest would shine his light and his glory and it would be seen on us, made visible in us so that we could rise and shine for the light of God has come. And when the light of God rests on us, we shine as a beacon of hope to a dark world that does see thick clouds. But where's our eyes supposed to be? Not on the clouds, above the clouds. Our eyes are supposed to be in the heavenly realities. It is only there that we provide hope to our nation, to the people of the world, and to creation itself. Verse 3, this is a promise that happens. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light. And kings to the sunrise glory of your new day. Lift up your eyes higher. 
Look all around you and believe, for your sons are returning from far away. Your daughters are being tenderly carried home. Watch as they all gather together, eager to come back to you. We sang, God, come with revival. You can start it in me. And like Patrick said, I don't care what the church at large does in, in America. I'm already in revival. If we'll allow revival to be hosted in us, if we'll make that our prayer, God, you can start it with me. One of the key signs of confirmation that revival is present is that prodigals come home. And so if Isaiah is saying that what it takes to get prodigals to come home is a revival in the land where God's light shines on us and we shine it to nations, not just neighborhoods, nations, and they see the glory of God, then there's a restoration of what? Of family. Because we, as sons and daughters of God, who shine light revealed as who we really are in Christ, we make that so attractive that guess what we do? We grow the family. And prodigal sons and daughters, who again, always had a purpose from the very beginning, get to be unveiled just like we are, and they get to come home. Sons will return. Daughters will be tenderly carried back. Why? For the restoration of family. We need God's light to be revealed in us for us, for creation, and for family. I know sometimes, you know, we have lost loved ones and we pray for them and we earnestly seek the Lord for them. And I'm not saying to ever stop that. Always pray for your lost loved ones. But at the same time, let the light of God be revealed in you. Because Isaiah makes a promise that sons and daughters will come home. If we'll allow ourselves to be revealed for who we are in Christ's light, he said sons and daughters will come back home. And not just from local, but from the nations of the world. They'll be attracted to God's radiant light. Don't settle for the idea that things are getting worse. Have hope in Christ that things are only going to get better. And it starts with our revealing. I... Uh, <clears throat> There's a, there's a video that's going around. I was sent this video, and I'm not speaking against this video. But in this video, there was some predictions that, you know, the rest of the year was just going to get worse and worse and that things were going to shut down and we should all just brace ourselves and endure until the end, until, you know, <clears throat> if you want to call it tribulation or rapture or whatever. <clears throat> now, personally, my eschatology doesn't believe that coronavirus is the tribulation of revelation. But that's okay if, if, that's, if that's how you believe. And just, I implore you, study it out. <clears throat> this guy, he was, he was preaching that things were going to get worse and worse and worse. And rather than offering hope, he just said, we just got to stick it out. That's it. Because, you know, this is the end times. And I thought to myself, man, like, I understand the notion of wanting to warn people, but like at the same time, that's really a hopeless declaration. And my God is the God of hope. And so I was just sitting there going, man, what do we do? Do we need to like stock up and build, you know, bunkers or what does this even mean? And I felt the Lord speak to me very clearly. And he said, listen, fear is always appetizing for those who have a hunger for it. 
There's whole entire genres of movies, horror movies, that people like to go and get scared because it's entertaining. Fear will always be appetizing to those who have a hunger for it. But instead, let's feast on the treasures from the heavenly realm. While we're here on earth, let's focus on things above. Part of, I think, the misconception is Isaiah 60 is oftentimes preached as things are going to get really bad, really bad, really bad. Then we get revealed and we reign and rule with Christ. And Isaiah 60 is heaven, right? That's heaven. We're supposed to go to heaven. The world's going to burn up and whatever happens, we get to all say, I told you so. And that's not the heart of Christ. Why would Christ be bruised, beaten, and, and literally murdered for his bride only to have her get punched in the mouth? I would defend my wife with my life. And if I have that heart, how much more does Christ have a heart for the church? Christ doesn't want to pronounce just this hopeless message of death and destitute and everything's going to get worse and maybe you get to get bailed out and you get to say, ha ha, I told you so. That would never be the heart of the kingdom. So we got to check ourselves. If, if our hope is maybe I get to escape, then we've got the wrong hope. Because my hope talks about a light that is shining, revealed in me, so that all of creation is redeemed to its full utility and that sons and daughters come home. And until I see sons and daughters come home in revival, I don't want to go anywhere else. Don't take me to heaven until I've accomplished every single thing that I'm supposed to. Till I see revival poured out. Till the light in me that Christ gives is so bright, there's no question of darkness around me. I don't want things to get worse. I believe things are going to get better. Now, if, if your opinion is that things are going to get worse, then I suggest you pray against it. God decreed he was going to destroy Israel, and Moses changed his mind. It took one intercessor. So if you think, well, maybe this message is from God, and it is going to get worse, change God's mind. You've got his heart. You're a son. You're a daughter. We don't have to settle for doom and gloom because Isaiah, in Isaiah the prophet in the book of Isaiah, and Paul in Colossians and Romans assured us that the light was only going to grow and it was only going to radiate more and it was only going to be more attractive until the nations of this world bow to Christ, give Him glory, and sons and daughters come home. Now, there's a theological term that I want to share with you because the Bible is built on it a lot. It's the theological term of already not yet. <clears throat> okay? Already not yet. What, is, what does that mean? Well, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is already not yet. Does that mean? Christ came declaring the kingdom of heaven is where? At hand. What does that mean? It's already. Don't be looking for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already. But when are you going to reign and every nation bow their knee down to you? When is the kingdom of God the supreme governmental authority? Not yet. It's already, but it's not yet. So our revealing that it talks about in Isaiah 60 is already not yet. When is the light of God revealed in us as sons and daughters? Already. When does full revival come to where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess? When do we rule and reign with Christ here on earth fully redeemed? Not yet. It's coming. Where are we right now? We're in the middle. 
Christ, when he was resurrected, what did Paul say in Colossians? It became our resurrection too. That means the light of Christ, through him overcoming death in the grave, through us overcoming this life through death and resurrection with Christ, that light is already in us. It's being revealed already. We're not fully revealed, not yet, but we're in the middle, and it's a growing process. The kingdom of God is ever-expanding. The light inside of you is ever-expanding if you'll allow him to move through you. What does it take for light to become more seen? It takes greater transparency. If you've cloudied up yourself, if you've got dark clouds and thick gloom inside of you, then that light may get a beam here or there to shoot out. But the way for his full light to shine is for us to be transparent enough that only light is reflected through us. That means taking some inventory of ourselves. That means going back to the beginning where we started talking about taking inventory where our thoughts lie. Being heavenly minded. Feasting on the treasures of heaven, not being distracted by the earth. And the more we set our eyes on him, the more we start to look like him the more we start to radiate his light, the more the nations will recognize it. And the more revival that is started already in a few will break out to the masses. There's church history that talks about great awakenings. And depending on which version you, you listen to, oftentimes church history says we've gone through two great awakenings. But there's a third I believe the revival that we're all seeking is that third great awakening. And I believe it's going to come not just to America, but it's going to come to all the nations of the world. But it doesn't take extended services, and it doesn't take one more prayer, and it doesn't take you reading one more chapter of your Bible. It takes you being a son and a daughter of God revealed in his light. So that when revival is burning in your heart, it becomes so attractive that sons and daughters come from all around to see the light in the darkness. I believe revival will be widespread, but I believe it will start with the individuals. And I believe it already has. Why do I know that? Because things look dark. Because when you turn on the news, things look a little sketchy. And because of that, I get hopeful. Because I start to say, ooh, man, there's going to be some light breaking out. Yeah, there were riots, but a lot of what you didn't see was there was worship nights in the same cities where the riots were taking place. Worship leaders who I know were in the towns downtown lifting up a voice with multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-race, multi-tribe raising up the name of God in that very city where the protests were being advertised through the news. There was revival breaking out. We can either choose to be distracted by the darkness or we could say, ah, but the light's coming even brighter and I'm going to allow it to come through me. Because that's how the creation is redeemed. That's how the nations are restored and that's how revival sweeps through. If you want to see lost loved ones come home, be revival. Shine his light and let him return sons and daughters home. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Thank you.